Welcome everyone to episode 19 of the Fire Nuggets podcast. Today is December 22nd, and we are psyched to have James Greenwood Esquire as our guest today. The goals here are pretty simple, bring in great guests and mine as much gold for them as possible uh, in 30 to 60 minutes. Short, sweet, and deep. Uh, and behind the mic today, we got Jeff Bryant and myself, Nick Ladine. How you doing, James? Thanks for coming on, man. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I'm really grateful for the, uh, the experience and humbled by the invitation. All right. Uh, let, let's go ahead and get into uh, an intro to you. So you're on, you're on Boise Fire. Uh, where, where are you at there? What, what, what company and, and how long you've been there? I'm a company officer or captain uh, on Engine 4, uh, the U-Stick Express, uh, which kind of lives up on the West Bench area, if you're familiar, uh, with Boise, Idaho. Been there since 2012 uh, and kind of gone through the ranks there fairly quickly. Uh, you know, like many places, there's been a lot of changes in the department with uh, retirements and, and hirings and, and you name it. Uh, so it's been a, a good opportunity for me to move up uh, with a little bit of experience that I had, uh, but I'm still a very junior company officer uh, and uh, been learning things whether I want to or not uh, every single day I go to work. So uh, happy to be where I'm at, have a killer crew. Uh, working in a good district on a busy engine, uh, and just ha happy, happy as a clam at the moment. Nice. Is that uh, th three or, or, or four man companies? Uh, the engines we have are uh, three person staffing. Uh, and then we have uh, truck companies that are four, kind of the traditional engine truck setup. Uh, and at my station, we have an engine and a truck and a battalion chief. Uh, so it's kind of one of the big houses, as it were. Uh, and so we have uh, eight people there assigned uh, per shift. We run 4896s. Uh, and that's kind of how we roll. So pretty traditional department and, uh, the county runs the ambulance service. So we do run medicals, but, uh, we are not a transport agency. Nice. And I, I'm just curious, uh, what, how many units do you get at like a, like a first due fire? Uh, so we have a bunch of different kind of response criteria, but, uh, generally speaking, a structure fire response would be three engines, one truck and one battalion chief as far as fire resources. And if that goes confirmed or a working fire, then we get an extra engine, an extra truck and an extra battalion chief, as well as, you know, a safety officer and, and some various other kind of miscellaneous overhead and medical stuff. So uh, generally speaking, three and one, uh, if it's not confirmed, if it is a working fire, we'll get four, two and two. Nice. All right. Uh, so before Boise, uh, you were in Santa Fe. That's correct. Right? Yep. Yep. The Santa Fe, New Mexico as my, where I started my uh, structural firefighting career, uh, a, a small department, a uh, smaller department, uh, about a, I don't know, a little less than a hundred guys per shift there. They worked 48, 4896s as well. Uh, they were a transport agency. So I, as a junior guy, got some time on the ambulance down there. Uh, but they're very busy, uh, or, you know, tons of, uh, stuff going on in Mexico is an interesting place. If you've never been great place to visit, food is awesome. Uh, beautiful, great mountain stuff. Uh, but also has, uh, you know, a fair share of uh, uh, poverty and, and, and uh, you, know, in, you know, reservations and, and drug problems, just like anywhere. But uh, it was an interesting place to cut my teeth as a structure firefighter to start with. Uh, and I'm super grateful for my time there. I met a bunch of great people, learned a bunch of stuff and got to run a bunch of uh, gnarly calls. Your busy department, super fun. Uh, but also, you know, the, the, the downside of, of, uh, of being in a busy place is also having to live in that busy place. So, uh, you know, one thing about having kids and my wife's from Idaho. So we kind of end up making the move after about three years down there. So. Nice. And then prior to that, you were a, uh, wildland firefighter with, uh, the U S forest service. Uh, yeah, with a, a bunch of different agencies, actually. I, uh, I started out, uh, in 19, I don't know, 97 or 98 in Colorado uh, is where I'm originally from. 
Uh, I was on an engine to start with uh, on the Roosevelt National Forest out of Fort Collins, Colorado, in Estes Park, Colorado, over a couple of seasons, uh, three seasons. Uh, and then I, uh, you know, saw the the writing on the wall as, as people uh, were going to a bunch of fires while I was sitting at home in the district on the engine. Uh, the hotshot crews that were around us were always going out. So I I uh, applied and was able, uh, you know, hired on with the Alpine Interagency Hotshot Crew out of uh, Estes Park, Colorado. And I spent several years there uh, and for the, and they're a park service crew. So I went from the Forest Service to the National Park Service out of Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, and then I uh, moved up to Idaho uh, after a, a series of circumstances. I uh, got hired on with the uh, Grangeville Smoke Jumpers, again, sort of kind of getting to the top of the pyramid in the, in the wildland world. I uh, jumped for the Forest Service for several years there, uh, and then finished my wildland career uh, with the Boise Smoke Jumpers transferred bases, uh, and they're a BLM base, so I switched from U.S. Forest Service to the BLM at that point uh, and finished off there before I, I moved down to Santa Fe. Awesome. Uh, so... You, uh, you and Luke, if I remember right, brought brought back the Boise Firefighter Symposium, correct? That is correct. Yeah, yeah, as a, yeah, through a, a bunch of uh, false bravado and, and uh, interesting circumstances, uh, we uh, we uh, took up the reins on that uh, that uh, particular endeavor. Uh, we we were fairly successful with that. It was some hard row, uh, yeah, hard row to hoe uh, for a while. Uh, but we were until again, COVID kind of slapped us down. So we've been out for a couple of years here, but uh, uh, we were basically falling in the legacy of a bunch of Boise guys that had come before us. Uh, Tracy Rayner, who is a chief in Valdez, Alaska nowadays. Uh, he originally started it with some other kind of legendary guys here in Boise, uh, George Webb and some others. Uh, and, um, and they had it going for, I don't know, upwards of I mean, close to 20 years probably before we ever took it over. Uh, but through a change in administration, Tracy Rayner retiring, uh, that kind of went away for a few years, right? When I got hired in Boise, we had like one year when I came on that we had it, it was the last one. Uh, and then it sort of went by the wayside just through to, you know, budgets and priorities and whatnot and political stuff. Uh, and so we sort of uh, reignited it and got it going. And uh, through a comedy of errors, we were able to bring it back for a few years uh, from about, I don't know, 2014 or 15 uh, until I think 2019. Uh, and then of course, the last two years we've been canceled and we're trying to Try to bring it back. So, you know, thankful to have the opportunity here to uh, to say that we're we're planning tentatively, uh, depending on on the uh, climate at the time, uh, of trying to get back in June the seventh through the ninth to do another symposium here in Boise. So, uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to the process of getting that going again. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood, of course. Awesome. And along with that, uh, you uh, run like a, a Boise Fire Nuggets affiliate through hosting that that event, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we kind of started off. Right. When we, when we decided to do it again, uh, Luke and I, uh, well, myself kind of started and I realized very quickly that I was overwhelmed. Uh, with just the idea of running it before I actually did anything. Right. So I, uh, uh, got my friend Luke Miller, who I went to the Academy with here in Boise, uh, who's a driver here in Boise, uh, on, on engine five downtown. Uh, and, um, I contacted, uh, David Sprague eventually, uh, initially we, had these great ideas, great plans, but the the problem being is that, uh, you know, doing this conference is, uh, if you don't have a department uh, running it, you don't have the insurance, you don't have uh, the, a way to take money and and uh, and pay for things, pay instructors, pay other people without commingling a bunch of funds, it turns into a lot of uh, sort of, you know, logistical crisis or logistical problems. Uh, and so we were able to contact David Spray at Fire Nuggets, it's just kind of a serendipitous time. Uh, when they were kind of taking it over from uh, Joey Shuler's dad, Paul Shuler, and Ted Corporandi, uh, who'd run it for many years and were kind of getting out of it, 
they passed the buck to uh, some guys in Berkeley fired David Sprague specifically and John PK Alfonso Munoz. Uh, and um, they were kind of in a transition phase where they were, they were running from, uh, you know, come picking it up from Corporate Andy and, and Schuler and, and running a magazine, which was uh, uh, sort of kind of gold. If you go back to the archives of that magazine, man, there's just some heavy hitters with some fantastic articles. Um, and they were trying to branch out a little bit, maybe try to get more into the training realm. Uh, and I just kind of cold called Sprague uh, off the cuff uh, after talking with Brian Brush a little bit and uh, uh, couldn't have been more supportive. Uh, can't say enough about David Sprague. He's kind of one of those uh, unknown heroes, uh, as you know, Jeff. Um, the guy is an absolute pillar of the American Fire Service. And, you know, most of the country probably doesn't even know his name, which is unfortunate. Uh, he does more work behind the scenes than anyone. Uh, and he basically you know, use their, the nonprofit, the 501c3 they had set up, gave us credit cards, and we were able to uh, take money, pay, pay, pay instructors, had, get insurance, do the whole nine yards uh, without the help of, a, you know, the, the initial support of a department uh, and just kind of put a conference on uh, sort of ad lib. You know, we're kind of making it up as we go because at the time there wasn't a ton of small conferences out there. Uh, and so we didn't have a lot of uh, good examples of what to do. So we certainly kind of stumbled through and made a lot of mistakes, but uh, uh, but we're ultimately successful almost solely uh, because of uh, Sprague and Fire Nuggets in general and them kind of, dot, you know, giving us the ability to be that that affiliate uh, and work under their their kind of larger umbrella. Nice. Yeah, D Dave is uh, very humble and doesn't really want people to even know his name, you know. <laughs> so, right. um, okay, so moving on to the next thing, you're a uh, instructor for Brothers in Battle. Yeah, that's right. I know we were joking before a little bit that, yeah, you kind of guys getting into the dregs a little bit uh, as far as the instructor cadre. I, you know, I feel like I've, you know, when I'm uh, working with Brothers in Battle and Cody and those guys uh, definitely have imposter syndrome. You know, you kind of get out and drink beers and, uh, and uh, you know, eat dinner the setup days when we're doing the classes uh, when I get to participate. Uh, and you kind of just every once in a while I kind of sigh and look around at the, the level of instructors that are there. Uh, and I, I can't have a hard time figuring out how I belong there. But uh, it's always, uh, you know, selfishly, I end up learning more than the students do just in the side conversations I get to have with all the instructors. So uh, I'm happy to be there. Uh, I'm proud to be involved. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just uh, totally feel uh, like an imposter when I'm not up there because, uh, uh, man, what, what high quality guys get to hang out with you. Cody Trestrail is just amazing. Uh, Nick Williams, Brian Olson, Rosenbaum has been on the show just recently. Um, you know, guys from San Francisco, Murtaugh, uh, you know, um, Mary, yeah, I, there's just a ton. Miguel Borrego, there's just a ton of solid individuals uh, that, you know, Doni, Matt Doni, you know, just a uh, all-star team, which uh, um, just incredible to be involved with those guys. And I, I'm not exactly sure how I stumbled into that, uh, but certainly feel lucky to, to, uh, to have, to do whatever I've done to be involved. So. I, I asked this question to Rosenbaum. So I just kind of want to ask you too, what is your favorite class to teach for them? <laughs> uh, again, I, I, uh, I, I love the uh, forcible entry stuff, man. Like you can't, it's just basic stuff, but there's so many reps and people are so psyched uh, and it's just a good vibe, uh, both the basic and advanced. The VES stuff is great. Uh, uh, un all, all the classes are fun in their own way. You know, I love the, the I kind of got brought in early on with the, some of the host stuff that we were doing uh, with the beyond the pre-connect, the static load classes, static bed classes. Um, so that's, probably my total passion as far as I feel the most comfortable with that stuff. Uh, but just that basic force entry class is by far uh, my favorite to be involved in just because it is such kind of a, uh, uh, I don't know, just a, it's just a great class. It's well thought out. 
flows really well and everybody's always happy to be there. So I, I think, I, even though I feel most comfortable with the beyond the pre-connect, uh, the, uh, the uh, forcible entry has got to be my favorite. Awesome. I, I, it does look like a great class uh, when, when I was out there in uh, Washington state with you guys. Yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> you uh, hold a law degree. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, you kind of, you know, I always, you know, feel kind of embarrassed when I do this, you know, everybody always kind of like rattles off the resume and I always to say, I just look good on paper, you know, like, I don't know how the hell I figured all this stuff out or stumbled through my, you know, I've said it before, but my entire life has just been like, if you picture yourself in a dark room with your hands out in front of you stumbling through and that, that's the, the, the grand plan I've had my entire life. And somehow it's ended up where I've ended up. So just uh, better to be lucky than good. But, uh, but yeah, I ended up as a, as a, a, a law student at the University of Idaho, which I always claim is the uh, Ivy League of the Panhandle of Idaho, uh, managed to get through there, uh, passed the bar exam in Nevada, uh, and worked in Nevada in the wintertime uh, for a couple of years uh, for the BLM, uh, doing uh, public lands law, uh, which is boring as hell. Uh, it's kind of interesting for me, but boring as hell if you try to explain it. Uh, but uh, I was working in the Reno State Office and got out of there right before a lot of the um, uh, Bundy stuff with the grazing rights down in Southern Nevada. So I lucked out and, and didn't get involved in some national uh, controversy uh, in my legal career, which was, uh, you know, probably lucky for everyone involved that I didn't have my fingerprints on that. So. So you're an inactive member of the bar in, of the state bar in Nevada right now, but if we're out in Vegas and we get in trouble, <laughs> can we contact you? Can you hook us up? Right. Yeah. Well, you get free advice, which I give you, you know, I tell you is exactly what it, you know, what you pay for is what you get. Right. So, uh, you know, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, if, yeah, I get that a lot. And you, yeah, we, you know, I joke all the time that, you know, if only I could charge for all the DUI and divorce information I've given out over the years, just within the fire department ranks itself, I, you know, I'd be a, I'd be a rich man. <laughs> and you kind of alluded to this uh, recently, but, but your resume is damn impressive. <laughs> from smoke jumper to lawyer nuggets to hotshot uh, brothers in battle to boy uh, boise firefighter symposium what motivates you to keep pushing and keep doing new things and and and, and raising that bar uh you know i don't know i you know i think it's kind of incremental you know like i uh i i have task oriented like a lot of us are like when i get my, i put my mind to something like i have a hard time not going all in a little bit. Uh, and I'm also a competitive jerk, which, uh, helps in that endeavor. So, uh, I, I, I think I like the, 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 the process a lot too. You know, I like the day-to-day -day figuring stuff out. I I'm, uh, I'm very motivated by not having that feeling of not knowing what to do in a certain situation. So from the fireside, it's easy for me uh, to just daily go out and train a little bit, just because I can always think of a situation where I don't feel as comfortable as I would like to. Uh, and so you can just train on that. And so it makes it pretty easy to do a quick drill. As far as uh, the academic stuff or the wildland stuff, it was really just, you know, uh, kind of floating through life. And, you know, you, you, you commit some, you commit yourself to a task and then you look up and you think, well, that next, that next step, like, I think I could do that. Like those guys don't seem so tough or so whatever, you know, better than me, like, you know, Mr. Competitive and get up there and all of a sudden I'm applying for the next thing. And, you know, 10 years later, all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting in the door of a plane over some smoking, uh, smoking hillside. And uh, yeah, you kind of wonder how you got there. So uh, not having a grand plan sometimes makes it a lot easier if you're just taking it day by day, you get you get a long way if you're just looking at your feet when you're marching on that 1000 mile journey, you know. Yeah, very well said. So we're pretty sure that you're actually the first guy that we've had that came from the wildland world. Uh, what got mm -hmm. you interested in that? 
<laughs> it was uh, totally uh, uh, blind chance. I, uh, I, I grew up in Colorado Springs, as we talked about before. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was pretty young. I was kind of a yeah, typical latchkey kid of the like, late 80s, early 90s. You know, like I had an older sister uh, that was, you know, in quotations, looking out for us. You know, she was like five years older than me. So she was in high school when I was like in middle school. And so like we didn't even see each other. My mom worked three to 11. She was an ER nurse. Uh, and so we were basically just like wild, I just running wild my entire childhood, basically, uh, you know, after a certain time. Uh, and so I was a city kid, I call Springs, Denver kind of bounced around, uh, and, uh, didn't, you know, wasn't, you know, a lot of the guys I ended up working with in the wildland world, they were, you know, ranch kids or rural kids that, you know, hunted and fished and, and, uh, spent all their life in the outdoors. Uh, and that was certainly not me, uh, growing up. Uh, and so I uh, ended up going to school. I was working <laughs> even uh, predating this. I, I graduated high school uh, and managed to be just smart enough to stay out of major trouble, uh, but you know, not motivated enough to do anything spectacular. So I just I squeaked through high school uh, and I was working at uh, a 4 a.m. to noon shift at a nickel cadmium battery plant on the southeast side of Colorado Springs. Uh, and I did that for a couple of months and realized that, man, you know, college sounds a lot better than this. Uh, you know, when I'm like, the only thing I can do is look ahead to my next break. I can't even imagine the eight hour workday or whatever. I can't even look to the end of the day. I just am waiting for my next 15 minute, you know, union break or whatever. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll go to college. You know, that sounds like a good idea. So I went to college. Uh, when I was up there, uh, I knew I wanted to be a firefighter because that's kind of all I've ever wanted to do. Again, my mom was an ER nurse and kind of, uh, you know, I was I still remember as a kid, you know, as a little kid, my mom coming home at 11 o'clock at night, waking up, uh, and she would have, you know, it was back before latex gloves and the whole nine yards. She'd have blood underneath her fingernails, blood on her shoes, you know, it was just kind of normal operating procedures around my house. Uh, and so I was always kind of fascinated with the uh, emergency services world. We'd go in uh, the hospital and there'd be ambulances and fire trucks and all kinds of stuff there. Uh, so that's kind of all I remember ever wanting to do. And so I, um, I got my EMT pretty quick once I went to college. Uh, I started volunteering on the, the ambulance company uh, uh, or for the ambulance service out of the hospital up in Fort Collins, uh, Poudre Valley. And um, uh, just happened to, while I was doing that, uh, volunteering on the ambulance, I met a guy that worked for the Forest Service uh, on an engine there in Fort Collins who was doing the same thing. Uh, and through just knowing him and kind of him helping me, walking me through the uh, application process, I got hired on uh, with the Forest Service as like a GS2 which you, if you know anything about the pay scale in the Forest Service back then was like two cents above minimum wage. And I was just fell in love with it. I was making tons of money, more money than I'd ever made. And, uh, you know, got to wear a fire t-shirt that said Forest Service firefighter on it. And, uh, but yeah, the first time I went to a fire, I think was pretty much the first time that I wasn't drunk, uh, that I slept outside. And uh, it was just, I was on, I was hooked from there. And so I went to school and worked on the engines uh, for the Forest Service in Roosevelt there in the Canyon Lakes Ranger District for several years uh, while I went to school. Uh, but like I said, you know, we'd go to quite a few initial attack fires uh, kind of uh, in the area, in, my, in our first area response. And, uh, you know, the hotshot crews were kind of the thing of legend. Almost all the older guys that had, had worked on the engines had done some sort of stints on hotshot crews and through families or whatever else had, had kind of come back to the engines to be a little more stable. Uh, but they kind of regaled all us young guys with stories of, uh, you know, thousand hour overtime seasons and monster fires and burnout shows and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and so once I kind of was in that, you know, I, I was in the wildland world, you know, I, I initially kind of started as a resume builder to get hired uh, by a city department and, uh, you know, pretty quickly found myself pretty immersed in the wildland culture. You spent a lot of your life kind of all over the Rockies part of the country where wildland firefighting is, is too damn common. 
-hmm. But for many of our listeners, wildland fighting is still pretty foreign to them. What can we learn in the structural realm? Um, what can we learn from, from the wildland realm? Uh, you know, I, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot different in a lot of ways, and it's very similar in a lot of ways. There's things that the wildland uh, world does a little bit better, uh, and there's things that the city firefighters uh, do uh, better, obviously. You know, uh, you know, one thing is just uh, you know, quality of life, right? Health insurance, retirements, uh, pay scale, all that kind of stuff. Just taking care of your people a little bit better. It tends to be a little tougher on the federal side, uh, especially nowadays. You know, talking to some guys I know that are still doing it. Uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of unhappiness over there with just pay scale and the length of fire season nowadays. Um, and just kind of the, you know, what it does to their body. Again, you know, you're still exposed to all the carcinogens and smoke, but you know, you don't see those guys uh, with SCBAs because it's just completely, uh, you know, not, not efficient or not effective to, to protect your airways, but they're, they're doing the same job. Basically they're doing, you know, think about the warriors, uh, you know, back then those guys without masks. I mean, the, the wildland guys are still doing it. Right. So it's, it's sort of a, a similar mindset for those guys, kind of iron lungs. Um, and so they, you know, there's some downsides to that, to that, uh, to that side for them, but um you know, those guys love it uh, just the same way we love our job. And so a lot of those guys will be, be there to the end. Uh, the positives, uh, the things that they might do better that we can learn from them as city firefighters is, um, I think one thing that Laguerre talks about a lot, uh, sort of in a, in a macro sense, is, uh, you know, we as, a, as, a, um, as structural firefighters kind of live in our own little bubbles, right? We have these little fiefdoms with the chief and, and uh, very segregated as far as information sharing or have been in the past. Uh, we don't have, you know, one overarching um, uh, centralized command structure like again, across the nation. So uh, we have a hard time adopting change uh, on a national level for the most part. Um, we, you know, we have a hard time um, kind of figuring out what best practice is and then implementing that. And, you know, the UL NIST and social media and, and you know, the world is, is getting a lot smaller. So it's gotten a lot better even in my short time uh, in the structure world. Uh, but the wildland world through uh, NIFC here in Boise or NWCG, they really, uh, you know, they have a very centralized command structure. So even though there's many, many agencies uh, that are fighting wildland fires, um, it's very, uh, you know, uniform and standardized uh, the way they do it. There is a best practice. And when there's a line of duty death, uh, um, there's an investigation and they can implement change to, uh, you know, affect that across the nation almost immediately or, or very shortly thereafter. So uh, they do a, a, a good job of, of, of you know, kind of implementing best practices, even though those best practices oftentimes are just work harder, right? Um, another thing they do that, uh, a couple things uh, educationally that they do training-wise that they, the wildlands guys uh, may have a step up on us is they, they adopted a lot of the military style leadership training uh, earlier on through, uh, you know, that, you know, like, I don't know if you guys are, are as, uh, you know, out West here, we get a lot, but like the L380s, uh, there's uh, you know, uh, several contract companies that are former military that do a lot of leadership training and have probably for 20 plus years, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, Gary Klein and a lot of the, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, situational awareness training and perception and, and uh, you know, um, just a lot of leadership and sort of um, uh, uh, fire behavior and just a lot of educational stuff that maybe we kind of gloss over, you know, you get a day of in the academy and you don't really uh, revisit it. Uh, you get sort of almost college level classes at 100, 200, 300, 400 um, fire behavior and leadership and, and tactics. Uh, and you need that stuff to promote on in the federal side, uh, you know, task books and the whole nine yard. Uh, and so um, I think it's just a little more structured, a little more standardized. Uh, and on the bottom end, you know, the most junior firefighters are getting that fire behavior and that, um, that leadership training early on and then throughout their careers. 
And I think we're starting to adopt a lot of that. And, uh, you know, just like ICS coming from the wildland world, um, a lot of that stuff is getting over in the structural world a lot. You know, as, as my career has progressed, a lot of that has shown up as well. Uh, and so I think that's all a good thing. But I think the wildland side has probably been slightly ahead of us on the structural side with a lot of that sort of uh, larger concept uh, academic side training uh, that, that, uh, that we're just getting kind of all into now. I really appreciated that answer. And, and, and just kind of when I was leaving Colorado, my department started really getting into wildland. So I, I, I just have a peripheral understanding of this really superficial. Um, but I like how you talked about the leadership and the education. Um, and I can't quite remember. And I know that each state uh, from the structural realm is kind of its own uh, fiefdom, as you were saying, and, mm -hmm. and there's 50 different sets of, of regulations. But is there any required continuing education for wildland firefighters? I know you have to do the red card every year. Is there anything else that's required? Um, or is it just once you get to a squad boss or crew boss that you have certain calls? Yeah, so basically it kind of depends on where you're at, uh, but generally speaking, you know, speaking broadly, and I've been out of it now, so it may have changed a little bit since I was totally involved, but um, how it generally works out is you, you know, you need to get red carded to basically get hired or you get hired and you get immediately put through a red card class of some kind. So you have that base level 13190 is what they call that those S series classes where you get the fire behavior and basic tactics right uh, and you know, they kind of base their stuff on a temporary workforce on the kind of lower levels, right? So if you just are going to be a temporary employee, uh, you don't need to progress much past that if you don't want to, if you're only going to do it for a season or two in college. Uh, but as you start, you know, it gets pretty competitive uh, going towards getting a more permanent job or moving up in rank on, say, a hotshot crew, you start having to take those um, uh, classes to get qualifications, right? So you have to take a certain type of class, you know, certain classes through NWCG and NIFC, you know, it's regulated through uh, the, that kind of national wildfire coordination group uh, that you have to take certain classes to get a task book. Then you have to work on the task book to get the qualification. Then you have to have certain qualifications and time and grade uh, in order to get promoted or be competitive for uh, that next level job that you want, whether it's a permanent job or a squad boss job or a whatever. Right. And so um, you, you can top out wherever you personally want to top out, but if you want to keep moving up in the organization or moving up in rank, uh, depending on, you know, your skill level or what job you want, or if you want to be an incident commander of a certain type, uh, you have to keep, um, you know, keep getting those classes, keep getting those task books, working on stuff, getting training assignments uh, and, and doing that. And so, you know, another thing about the, the federal world is that uh, those guys move around, you know, guys and girls move around a lot because for those opportunities for those jobs, right? So if you're a squad leader on a hotshot crew, chances are you're not going to be, you know, get promoted to the rank of captain or foreman on that same hotshot crew. You're probably gonna have to wait for an opening on another crew and have to move to another crew to get that, that opening. So you end up, if you stay in the wildland world, uh, as you move up in rank, that pyramid gets smaller with less openings. Uh, and so you end up uh, moving around the country quite a bit, especially around the West, uh, to get those, you know, find those jobs and, and move up in rank and move up in, 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 in position. So a lot more transient workforce than, than we have here, where you can, you know, basically get hired in a department if you choose to, uh, you know, ride your whole career in that same department. Awesome. Th thank you for, for sharing all that. So being a uh, fellow engine nerd, I, I am excited to ask this, this next one. So I remember, uh, I think it came up in our Fire Nuggets board chat room. Uh, PK was talking about the uh, paper or, or study you did for the, for the gated Y there. Yeah, uh, and I, I think this is beneficial for people. I mean, uh, Dennis has put out a bunch of stuff. Daryl's put out a bunch of stuff. So, so can you kind of tell us a little bit about it? Uh, what what the origins was and what the follow up was and, and what came about it? 
All right. So again, like you can, uh, uh, you know, if you ask anybody that works in the department with me, everybody knows that I'm like, I have a huge mouth and, you know, can't possibly keep my mouth shut. Whenever I see a problem, I immediately, you know, have to try to fix it. Right. Yeah. You know, Jeff, I know. Uh, and so early on in my career, uh, you know, I start, I was taking a bunch of classes. Another thing about the wildland world is because of that system for getting promoted, you end up having to go out and take a bunch of classes. And often, you know, you get paid for them generally, but sometimes you don't. And a lot of times you have to go out and do classes on your own in the off season, uh, you know, take a break from ski bumming and go, go to wherever for a week to sit through a class so you can have it to get a task book or whatever. Uh, and it's always impressed on me at an early age in the wildland world, like, hey, man, like, nobody is looking out for your training, but you. So if you're waiting for somebody to tap you on the shoulder to get a class or get a task book, like you're going to be waiting a long time because it's competitive and everybody wants to move up. Uh, so you better be taking care of yourself. It's not like people don't care about you. Uh, but you know, if you don't want to get left behind, you better have your head on a swivel and looking out for yourself. Right. And so I kind of brought that mantra into the structure world, you know, even though it's not quite as uh, cutthroat as far as classes and whatnot, but like I started going to a bunch of classes, uh, on my own time, on my own dime, just out of curiosity, because I felt like I was behind the curve. I came to it a little bit later than some guys do. Uh, and I, again, I hate that feeling of not knowing what I'm doing. Uh, and so I sort of really just kind of went crazy uh, early in my career. And still to some degree, I try to take as much classes or many classes as I can. Um, uh, and, and I started taking a bunch of classes. And you guys know as well as I do, when you start taking a bunch of classes and traveling around doing that, uh, you start seeing the same faces a lot and you make a lot of contacts. Uh, and just through luck, um, you know, I ended up like going to the first HROC conference. I was at the first firemanship conference. I, you know, I met, you know, Laguerre and some of these guys right when the, a lot of their career, you know, their popularity was taken off, uh, you know, several years ago now, uh, before they're at the heights that they're all at now. Um, and I uh, was able to have conversations uh, with guys like Dennis Laguerre really early on and sort of like, you know, take their classes early on about the gated wise and the problems with that. And then like come back and be like, man, why are we using Gator Whites in my department, you know, and like nobody could give you a good answer. And then when you ask questions about stuff you'd learned in the class, like nobody could explain why that wasn't the, you know, wasn't the truth or wasn't the facts, right? So uh, I, you know, early in my career, I, I, you know, we came back, went to a class, talked to Laguerre uh, and realized that we were running into the same problems that he outlined with that Gated Wise as a longer stretch. You know, we run in a bunch of pre-connects. We didn't have, we had a static two and a half bed, but we did not have any sort of smaller static beds. Uh, or anything that was, uh, you know, like reduced down. Uh, so we were a very pre-connect heavy oriented department when I first came on. And uh, our plan was in those longer apartment stretches uh, was to do a Y with a bundle of inch three quarter tagged onto the Y. And, you know, of course that leads directly to, well, if you need a backup, backup line, just tag another bundle on, which runs into like just terrible hydraulic problems as we all know from, you know, sitting through like gear classes or, or, you know, any sort of conversation about it, right? Uh, and so, I immediately realized that we were experiencing the exact same problems that I had just learned about in this class and started asking questions. And at the time we had a training captain named Rich Kuhn, who's now retired, but we also have a, just a complete uh, engine stud uh, captain named Rick Payne, uh, who's still uh, working with us um, on my shift on a, a kind of a neighboring station. Uh, and, you know, he was, he's kind of one of those kind of quiet, mild mannered guys, but just a, an engine guru. Uh, and I was able to kind of plant the seed uh, with him and with uh, Rich Kuhn, who was kind of a longtime training captain and kind of understood the politics of the department. Uh, and with my uh, nerdiness from the law degree of being able to do some persuasive writing and research, uh, was able to, you know, contact Laguerre. He put me in contact with a bunch of other guys that were kind of working on the same problem, Patrick Dunn and Clackamas and a couple of other people. Uh, and we were able to kind of run out and sort of guerrilla style, do a bunch of flow testing and sort of prove our point. 
and then through the help mostly of Rich Kuhn and, and Rick Payne, we're able to convert a whole department, you know, basically by, you know, here's the key is letting people think it's their own idea, right? So uh, we did it, we were able to kind of slot a department-wide training where we were like, okay, we're going to do some longer lays, you know, let's do this apartment lay, which at the time for us was like a 200-foot pre-connected, uh, two-and-a-half-inch line, which then they'd slap a, 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 a Y on and a bundle. And we made a, a very simple stretch just on the drill grounds out on the pavement. Just we put a cone out there for like 190 degree corner. It was like a 350 foot stretch or 300 stretch, 300 foot stretch. And we're like, all right, let's just do it what you would do on a normal fire, you know? So we'd go out there and they'd stretch it and it would take forever because there's 13 elastic straps and have to undo a nozzle and put a gated Y on and connect, you know, just got awful when you actually do it. Uh, and then we just had a couple of training engines that we set up with a static bed, an inch and three quarter. And, and you know, what we've been running in Boise here, uh, you know, good, better and different. And we've been running the 1.88 inch, inch and three quarter hose. And so a lot of the old school, you know, true inch and a half or two inch and three quarter, uh, you run into friction losses issues that, you know, you have to kind of, you know, reduce down a, a, a bulk load or dead load. But with us, with our 1.88 inch hose, uh, we could go a long way without running into those hydraulic problems, uh, pumping the way we we're pumping with smoothbore nozzles and, and uh, you know, low, low pressure hoses or low pressure nozzles. Uh, so um, basically we then just said, okay, hey, well, why don't you try this static load? You know, you never trained on it, but just try to do the same stretch with this inch three quarter static load or 1.88 inch static load. And of course they just smoked the gated Y evolution. Uh, and so everybody kind of walked away with like, well, that's stupid. Why aren't we doing this? You know, so it was a real easy sell. Once everybody got their hands on it, uh, the hard part was just kind of politicking to get the department-wide training uh, to kind of show us the error of our ways. And, you know, that's been uh, sort of my takeaway from a lot of these things is uh, we can we can agree that we all have a lot of like little problems in the department. And it's not really a problem if you don't actually ever do it. You know what I mean? We can say on paper that we do a lot of stuff, uh, but until you actually go out and put your hands on it and see that it's a problem, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a problem. So, you know, showing that you know, going out, getting guys to get their hands on tools and seeing where the, the blind spots are uh, makes it for a pretty quick uh, change uh, once people realize it. So it's, it, it was very effective uh, doing it that way. And I've had success uh, in that instance uh, in, a, in a couple other instances after that. So we were able to kind of convert over to a, a static a static load or dead load uh, of inch and three quarter and 1.88 inch hose um, and as well as uh, static two and a half. And we've gone completely away uh, from Y operation, uh, which hydraulically is better. Uh, it's safer for the crews. If you need a second line, just pull a second line. You don't have to worry about any weird hydraulics and, uh, uh, people have really adopted it and, 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 and had success with it, which is really the, the name of the, the name of the game, right? It's not, it's not about me or being right or whatever. It's about, uh, being more efficient and effective, uh, for the, the places that we serve. So. James, you said something in there that I think that I, I just want to get a little bit of clarification on, and, and maybe you could give us some tips or tricks, but you said that the difficult part of changing the operations was the politicking to get the hands-on training. Do you have any tips or tricks or like failures that you could share about like, hey, I tried it this way and it didn't work at all. They said, absolutely not. Like, I, cause I think a lot of, of, the, of the people listening have, have probably solid ideas that operationally make a lot of sense. But then that next step to either get the training or get in front of the people that can make the training happen, that's where we mess up. Do you have any tips there? Uh, you know, again, it's kind of been trial by fire and learning from people that came before me, right? Uh, I have had successes. I had had failures for sure. Uh, but a lot of it is a kind of uh, shaping your problem or, or defining your problem uh, so that people understand, hey, this could be a blind spot, you know, being able to communicate exactly uh, a problem and making sure that it's, it, everybody can agree it's a problem. Uh, for example, 
you know, we run five inch supply line here, which, uh, you know, we're a Ford laid apartment, which, you know, again, is not probably ideal. Uh, we're getting a little bit better and uh, making strides in that direction. But uh, Ford Lane with five inch hose is a problem if the hydrant is bad or, you know, it's not a redundant system. Uh, and it's just hydraulic and the five inches isn't made to, to be Ford laid any length, right? Um, and so we, we tried for a while to get four-way valves or humat valves put onto that five-inch uh, hose if we're going to continue to Ford lay just to give us some more options or to hook in a, a pump at the hydrant to do that uh, so we don't have to shut down a hydrant if we need to put a pump at the hydrant. Uh, but the, the problem for us was uh, that our well, problem in quotations, I guess, is uh, our water system is so good in Boise. Like We're just lucky, blessed to have a fantastic water system with fantastic hydrants. So we couldn't really statistically show that we had a problem uh, because we just don't have it as a problem, right? And so it's really hard to convince uh, people uh, to spend the money or do something different uh, because, you know, again, it's it's hard to define that problem with data or to, to really define it, right? Uh, versus the why problem where we could go out with a flow meter uh, and show, hey, man, like you're not getting what you think you're getting. And, you know, how, when's the last time you're on a fire that two nozzles opened at precisely the same time and closed at precisely the same time, right? So. Um, you know, that communication of defining the problem and making sure you're having the problem, right? Because uh, one thing about, you know, I'm an advocate for being progressive and, I'm, uh, and an advocate for change uh, when it's needed. Uh, but on the same, along the same lines, uh, if it's not a problem, like don't, you can't just be changing uh, to, for the sake of change, because then you lose credibility, because then people start tuning you out, because you're always trying to change things, uh, just because your preference or the, or the way you want them. So um, you really have to, again, figure out your problems, define your problems, communicate those problems, and then have the answers to the questions that you know are inevitably going to come. You know, it's always going to be about money. So you got to be able to, to, to show that you have the money or the time. Uh, you know, you have to, a lot of times, if you can tag your little uh, idea or training into a, another training, like that's a good way to get your foot in the door. So you can have just a station at an, another department-wide training so you can tag on. Um, but th those are sort of just some simple ideas. But again, I think the main thing is, is like saving your political capital uh, to make those changes uh, when you know you can define you and agree on a problem that needs to be solved, right? Because you just, again, don't want to be wasting a lot of political capital, getting everybody on board, kind of beating the war drum uh, when it's not necessary. And so making sure uh, that, you know, the things you're doing right, continue doing them and practice those things so you continue to do them right. Uh, and if there's some things that you might be a little off on, uh, make sure that you you have those things defined and you have a plan to deal with them uh, and you'll get a lot of buy-in, especially if when people understand it's a problem. Uh, it, you know, it's pretty easy. Everybody wants to do a good job. Everybody wants to be successful. Uh, and so if you can really define that problem, it makes it a lot easier for everybody to get on board. Very well said. I love that answer. Uh, there was a lot of gold in there. Uh, and I really appreciate you speaking to political capital, because I think that at least me personally, that's something that I wasted at my first department and have been very mindful at my, my current department to be very judicious with with where I what hills I'm I'm potentially going to die on. Um, okay, going back to to something that was in your kind of bio, but you helped start Boise Fire Nuggets, which I believe is the first Nuggets affiliate. A NorCal Fools does not count. Um, <laughs> and this was a pretty novel idea back in the day. And you kind of told us about how you went about becoming a an affiliate. But since you're on the uh, on the board right now, and we got the VP with us as well. We now have affiliates in, and I know I'm going to forget a bunch, and, and I apologize, but Boise, Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Hawaii, Arizona, Pacific Northwest, 
the the lake effect, the twin tiers, um, and, and I, I know I'm. Uh, oh, what's the other one that Kyle started recently? Virginia, uh, Texas, Virginia, yeah. Texas. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So I, I'm, there's a bunch of them out there. But if anyone's interested in becoming an affiliate, what do they do? Who do they contact? What's that next step? And this question can be for both of you fellas. I, I kick it to Jeff for the most part. He's kind of the VP and he's he's kind of the main point of contact for the most part. It seems like Chris Lair and Jeff Bryan are the two main points of contact. And really to me, and, and Jeff can probably speak to more uh, clarity on this because he's been doing a lot more kind of that, that outreach work or that dealing with the particular affiliates. You know, I'm more of a <laughs> behind the scenes guy for the most part. Uh, but really it's just having a desire to, uh, to bring training to your area, right? And we want to try to not, you know, step on anybody's toes. Like, we, you know, we don't want to offend uh, local fools chapters or, or other departments that have stuff going on. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we really just want to be supportive. I think at least speaking for myself and, the, you know, just being on the board for a little while, um, the whole, the goal of Fire Nuggets is to support people in their training, right? So there's not a lot of hoops you have to ju jump through other than, you know, being a viable place that can, can host trainings, uh, being responsible enough to, you know, to take money and, and pay for stuff. And, uh, and uh, other than that, like, man, we're, we're, we're just all about support. So, uh, you know, Jeff, you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, no, I mean, you, you said it uh, absolutely correct. I mean, that's, that's really all we are. We, we, we don't care about, about money. We don't care about, you know, status or, or anything like that. So like, if you want to start an affiliate, you know, like, like first things first, you just have to contact one of us and you'll put, they'll put it, uh, they'll put you in contact with, with someone on how to move forward with it. But if you want to become an affiliate, like you actually have to have like a desire to either, either run, you know, uh, uh, a conference or, or run like a bunch of, not a bunch, sorry, or just run some classes and that you want help setting those up and you want to bring more training in your area, state, region, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, you know, to get back on support, if, if you want to do something just like Boise firefighter symposium and you have no idea where to start, uh, I, you know, we don't really charge any money for anything, you know? So like, like, uh, Gino, uh, he's in your area and, and, and Ken Bowman, they both have reached out and all we do is we're just helping them run registration. Other than that, they're handling everything else. Cause we, we we've done it, you know, thousands of times actually probably now you know so like it's it's our expertise we we help run registration we help run logistics and we just help set you up for success you know it, it doesn't have to be our thing um it can still be 100 percent your thing with just a little guided hand basically if that answers it next that was beautiful well said thank you guys um, okay, so uh, when it comes to, to training, James, what do you think uh, we as the American Fire Service are doing right? And what do you think we uh, could use a little help on making better? Uh, training or uh, in general, I, man, I, again, I, I don't know. Like speaking of these broad brushstrokes is always hard uh, because things are a little bit different here and there, right? I mean, you're working on a super busy department that's going to look different than if you're a rural volunteer, right? Uh, what you need. Uh, what kind of stuff you have to focus on. Uh, the things I think we're doing right is supporting each other, like we just talked about. I think, you know, going to those smaller conferences, getting those more intimate classes, you know, just, and, and the day-by-day -day stuff, like I kind of alluded to earlier, man, it's a lot easier to go a thousand miles if you're just looking at each step, right? So uh, keeping your head down and just doing something small, like it doesn't have to be some crazy drill every day. Uh, and I think 
that happens all over the place. And, and I think that's what we're doing right is we're kind of, you know, focus, refocusing or if we ever lost focus on the basics of firefighting uh, and just kind of doing that grind, man. I, and that's what I really love about it is just sort of the grind of the process of, of trying to get better. Uh, and we have such a wide range of topics. And what's so appealing to me uh, being a firefighter is that we just have so many topics that we're supposed to be knowledgeable about, right? So there's never a, uh, a lack of something to think about or study or drill on or whatever. Uh, it, it's, it's infinite. Um, and so, I'm, you know, I'm never going to master all that stuff. I'm never going to master any one of those things. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it kind of fits my personality that I just get to go on and be like, man, I haven't thought about this in a while. What, what do we should do here? And then, and you go down some rabbit hole and then, you know, you know, three hours later, like, good, good Lord. Like we just covered that topic, uh, you know, for a little while anyways, until it gets rusty again. Cause certainly when I'm thinking of one thing, I'm, you know, it, the whole thing is like spinning plates, right? As soon as you like start concentrating on one plate, they all start wobbling. Right. So you constantly have to kind of be on your toes a little bit. So uh, just the, you know, the, the grind of it, I think is what we're doing right what we're doing wrong or, or could improve on. Um, man, I, I, again, I don't know, you know, different personalities, uh, are motivated by different things. Like I'm not a big rah, rah guy. Uh, sometimes I think we get caught up, you know, coming from the wildland world, which is, uh, very behind the scenes, you know, from, especially from the federal point of view, you know, you kind of, there's no, uh, there's no union to protect you. There's no HR department. So it tends to be a little more rough and rugged, uh, kind of out in the woods without a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, uh witnesses. Uh, so they tend to be a lot more behind the scenes, a lot more, uh, quiet professional, a little bit, just not, they don't get the, the cameras and the, the PIOs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the same way, uh, the city firefighters do, they're not under as much scrutiny either. Um, and so I think coming to the city fire department, uh, one thing, you know, that, that always, uh, is, was, is different and not necessarily wrong is that we start believing our own bullshit a little bit, you know, like uh, there's a lot of, you know, uh, you know, we're good at stuff, but we're not the best at everything, right? Like we're not all, you know, philosophical, you know, poet, warrior poets that are, you know, like, uh, you know, masters of our, you know, I'm not, and not, and not that that's a bad thing. Like I'm not the guy that's like doing, you know, posting workout photos with Marcus Aurelius quotes and punter, you know, painting Punisher symbols on everything. Like that's not really my thing. If that motivates you, man, uh, you know, have at it, but, uh, um, but I think sometimes like we, we portray that a little bit and I think it's sometimes a little bit too much for what we're actually doing. Right. So like, I'd rather concentrate behind the scenes and get, get good at stuff, hopefully, uh, versus kind of make this, this weird, uh, you know, public image or make it a public image thing. Uh, I think, I think sometimes that makes me cringe a little bit, but, but again, if that motivates you to be a better firefighter, then well, yeah, what the hell, what do I know? So. If you had a crystal ball and could see into the future, what would fire service training and learning look like in 10 or 20 years? <laughs> Hopefully pretty similar to what it looks like now, you know, uh, we have, uh, uh, a great legacy, great tradition. Uh, you know, the guys that came before us, the corp Randys, the Schulers, you know, uh, guys that were fighting fires in the war years and before, like, uh, I mean, we're, you know, just like wildland, we're, we're implementing a lot of the same tactics that those people did. Uh, you know, maybe we, we have slight technological, technological advances, uh, you know, uh, bunker gear versus knee-high boots, which is arguable, right? But we have uh, changes in fabrics, uh, you know, the materials of hoses. Uh, um, there's a lot of stuff that we, you know, TIs. Um, there'll be small incremental technological changes, but I think the essence of the job remains the same. And, and man, I hope in 10 or 20 years that there's still a bunch of small conferences uh, and people doing work um, and just working, right? Just being able to sweat and, and you know, we're not, we're not all stuck on 
VR goggles and doing, you know, target solutions uh, solely, right? I mean, again, there's some box checking that has to be done, but uh, but I would prefer, and I hope uh, for you know whoever comes after me that they get a similar experience that I did, that I do, or that I've had, uh, because you know I've just uh, I've been so happy with it. So I hope I hope that it it doesn't change too much that it's not recognizable. Excellent. All right, now our our favorite questions here. Now, what is the best class you've ever attended? <laughs> uh, this is going to be a random answer and probably not uh, um, not duplicate. You know, not not you can't duplicate it. Uh, but uh, Oren Oren Brees down in Denver runs the uh, Denver Memorial Stair Climb. Right, uh, he's Castle Rock training chief. Just a great person. Another guy that you probably haven't heard of, uh, maybe. Um, but just an outstanding individual and a real uh, pillar of the fire service and somebody that I look up to uh, a lot. Um, he runs the Denver Memorial Stair Climb. Uh, and part of that Denver Memorial Stair Climb, he ended up, you know, it's kind of one of the first in the nation. And now he's a, you know, kind of a big deal with the uh, National Fallen Firefighters and running all of the, the Memorial Stair Climbs. Uh, and he and some other guys from that Denver area, um, as well as others. Um, but he used to, those guys that ran the Denver Stair Climb uh, used to do a training day or have in the past, uh, you know, occasionally when they can. Uh, they used to run a training day before the Memorial Stair Climb. And I've gone out to that Denver Stair Climb for, I don't know, many years, uh, probably pushing 10 years now, as long as I've been a city firefighter, basically, um, and, and do that Denver Stair Climb every year on 9-11. And uh, they used to do a class, you know, occasionally they'd be able to put on a class the day before. And just one year, it was just like the, you know, the perfect storm. Uh, Dave McGrail did a, uh, a high-rise uh, standpipe class uh, the day before the stair climb. And, uh, you know, generally it's, it's a lot of local guys that do the stair climb. And so, you know, again, I, I don't know what the deal is, uh, but I kind of always travel from out of state and, uh, you know, normally, you know, some years I get a bunch of guys to come with me. Some years I go alone. Uh, and this particular year, I, I think I was, I was there alone and I signed up for the class cause I was going to be in town. You know, it's a good excuse for me to go back and see some family and hang out in Colorado. And, uh, so I went to this class and it was literally, there was 10 people in the class. Uh, some of the people in the class uh, were like Brian Brush and Nate Jameson, you know, one of the Aaron Fields uh, cadre, uh, Nas Ford guys. Uh, and it was like um, Mark Wesseldine was there, the FDNY guy. Uh, they used to be a, you know, uh, 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 Platte Canyon uh, chief for a while. Um, and it was just a phenomenal day uh, with like 10 guys. We had a parking garage standpipe and we just did standpipe evolutions in this empty parking garage with like Dave McGrail and a bunch of just, you know, a couple of Denver guys and a couple of Aurora guys and Brian Brush. And it was just a, a phenomenal day that you couldn't duplicate. Uh, and uh, it, it was the best class of all time. Just super, you know, again, it was just no brainer, right? All, all day reps, reps, reps uh, with just, you know, uh, subject matter experts. Uh, and just, you know, it's kind of like going to fantasy camp, you know, you like get to hang out with all the people that you look up to. Uh, and so that was the best class I've ever had. You know, again, you can, you, there, it's also different though, right? Because a, a bunch of classes just hit you different depending on where you are in your career or where you are in your sort of evolution as a firefighter, right? And so, you know, the, you know, all those, everybody who's been on the, you know, the show seems like so far, the, the, the ones I've listened to, you know, it's Nozzle Ford or, uh, you know, Brothers in Battle VES class. And all those classes are awesome, especially if they hit you in the right spot and, you know, the right stage of your career. Uh, and it'll just change the trajectory uh, of how you, uh, you know, you evolve as a professional. Uh, and so I encourage anyone, take as many classes as you can, because you never know when you're going to have that sort of Dave McGrill experience that I had, uh, that just totally uh, is a highlight of your career. And you wouldn't have known if you didn't hadn't signed up for some whatever class as a, you know, you know, just because you were in town or whatever, right? So 
you know, again, it's kind of like bosses or leadership, right? Even if you take bad classes, they just teach you what not to do. Uh, and so taking as many classes as you can is, is always uh, an answer that, that, uh, that I would give for sure. Awesome. That was a, that was a great answer. And uh, how did you get so lucky to have such a, a small group size? <laughs> Who knows, man? Like God, it always surprises me, right? Like you think, you know, again, if you like really advertise that there'd be like 3000 people there, you get one rep the whole day. Right. But for some reason, I don't know if it just uh, didn't get advertised or what, but yeah, have to ask Oren that someday we get them on. Nice. All right. Next one. So what, what is the best conference you've been to? Oh man. Like I, again, I've, I've been to a ton and they all, depending on where you're at, hit a little different, uh, you know, everybody says firemanship and that's true. It's, it's awesome. Cody and, and Andrea Trestrail and all, all, all the, you know, hundreds of people behind the scenes and that, uh, are amazing. It's an amazing conference. If you never get a chance, you should go right. H rock. If you never get a chance, uh, you know, you gotta go to H rock. You gotta uh, go down to Isaacson's thing down there. I was able to, you know, go down several years to that. And it's the same thing. Firemanship and H rock are our sister conferences. Basically it's the same vibe. Uh, very motivated instructors, the best of the best. It's just like, again, attending fantasy camp. You get to go there uh, and hear all the best. Uh, but I, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of the smaller venue. Again, I'm not, uh, I, I, I say all the time, again, like, you know, my bias is coming up from the wildland world and not being flashy. Uh, I, I, I love firefighters in small groups. I hate firefighters in huge groups. So like going to FDIC, even though there's a total place for FDIC, like, man, I'm always just, thrown off by like the just drunk fest strip club whatever like again i'm not some sort of prudish person but that's just not kind of what i'm there for so like i try to stay away from the giant groups of of uh you know uh of firefighters uh even though i love them in small groups uh and so uh i tend to, to uh personality wise uh you know kind of you know satellite to the the smaller conferences the mile high conferences of course i'm biased with boise uh because it's kind of the baby around here um uh, but all, all the, those, those style of conferences are awesome. You know, the, I have yet to have the uh, opportunity to go out to Harrisburg, but people rave about that. A little known one, if you haven't gotten out there, I think Jeff, you made it down. There's the April fool's conference happened a couple of times in Kansas city, uh, man, do a good job of that one. Like those little ones, I think is we get the most bang for your buck, uh, at those type of conferences. Yeah, no, uh, I, I think what I like most about, uh, the small ones, like, like, uh, I was down there at the April fool's one is. You literally just come in, you do the work, and then you leave. Yeah. There's not, there's not like a lot of fluff, you know? No, that's... not a lot of, yeah, no fanfare. There's not a lot of like, hey, everybody saw me, or I got to wear the t-shirt or whatever. Like, you know, it's just, it's just good. Actually, I, I will note though, kind of on a, on a side note, I just had the opportunity to go uh, in September uh, to Syracuse, that heavy rescue conference that those guys did uh, up there. Uh, and that was another phenomenal experience. Those guys, you know, again, in the kind of midst of COVID or coming right out of COVID, hopefully. Um, those guys put on a great show up there too. So they, I mean, they should get some kudos and if you get a chance to get up to Syracuse next year, I think it's happening around the same time in September. Um, you know, Broussard and all those guys up there, take the door training, um, check that one out too. That was, that was a phenomenal conference. Awesome. All right. Uh, Nick's favorite one. What's your best book? Oh man. I, I tend to be a pretty big reader. So like, you know, ask, I don't know, I read a ton. So I, it's always hard for me to give, uh, uh, it's kind of like conferences, right? Like it, I have tastes. And sometimes when I give uh, recommendations, people are like, what in the hell was this? Because I read just a bunch of books, good ones, bad ones, textbooks, you name it. I read a bunch of stuff. So uh, I get to look at my bookshelf. I'm cheating because I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. Uh, and I, I think I wrote some stuff down here too. Uh, if you're going for me, um, Firewise, uh, 
I like the, that uh, Last Man Out, Tom Downey. If you haven't read that one, you should check it out. It's about the rescue guys, Rescue 2 and Rescue 1 and, uh, and uh, FDNY. Uh, it's really uh, just an entertaining read. Kind of gets you fired up to go out and do stuff. Uh, if you're doing wildland stuff, Fire on the Mountain by John McClain. Uh, and if you ever get the chance, uh, it's right outside of Glenwood Springs to go hike uh, the, the Storm King Mountain uh, a trail up there where they have the crosses and you can kind of got to do the case study or staff ride. Um, and again, I haven't been down to Yarnell, uh, but I'm sure the Granite, Granite Mountain one is just the same. But uh, you should really, uh, if you're you know driving across the West uh, on vacation or whatever, it's just right off the highway there at the Storm King one in Glenwood Springs. It's worth checking out. You know, it's, it's a pretty short hike. Uh, if you ever get the opportunity, I highly recommend reading the book and then going and hiking the trail. It's kind of put stuff in perspective uh, for us or for me, especially as a wildland guy. Um, I'm just going to list off a bunch of stuff because I got off the top of my head. Uh, leadership style. Uh, I read a bunch of leadership books and they're all kind of the same uh, with few exceptions, but I'll throw out a couple of my, uh, the ones that have affected me a little bit was uh, uh, Mission Men and Me uh, by uh, Blader, Blaber, Pete Blaber. I can't remember his name was. Uh, great book. Uh, again, kind of not really meant to be a true leadership book, but certainly can be taken that way. Uh, another one that I read fairly recently, I kind of grew up playing rugby, kind of weird side topic, but um, uh, Legacy by James Kerr. It's about the New Zealand All Blacks, uh, you know, their, their national rugby side. Um, great leadership book, very to the point, uh, very usable uh, leadership book. So I'd recommend that one if you haven't had the opportunity, even if you don't know anything about rugby, it's uh, uh, they're just a, a dominant team with a, a, a very good tradition of leadership. And uh, it really paints the picture very well in that book. Um, what else I got here? Non-fire non stuff. Uh, I'm a big proponent of Victor Frankl, Mansers for Meeting. Uh, just, it's a, a book you should read as a human, uh, just about doing right and wrong and having a good attitude when things are not going your way, especially in his case, he's a Holocaust survivor and just, uh, just a phenomenal human being. Um, yeah, I, there's, here's, here's one. Here's a left field, right? Just top of my head here. I'm just going to go off on a uh, philosophical rant for you, which I know is just what I said I wasn't going to do. You know, I'm not like the Marcus Aurelius guy, but... Uh, uh, there's a, uh, uh, an old French philosopher named Camus, and he wrote a book called The Myth of Sisyphus, which is random. Uh, but it basically, he, the, the type of philosophy he did was called absurd, absurdism. Uh, and so like, I'm not a religious guy. Uh, and so he didn't have a lot of faith in the afterlife or kind of searching for the meaning of life. Uh, and basically he, he came down to the fact that, you know, life was, there wasn't a, an overarching meaning of life. Uh, but the real meaning of life was kind of what we assigned, uh, to, to it. Uh, and so the idea of the old, uh, you know, uh, story of Sisyphus, who's pushing a rock up a hill and every time he gets to the top of the hill, the rock rolls back down. So he's kind of in for, you know, for eternity, kind of pushing a rock up a hill. Uh, and kind of a, one of the phrases in the book is, you know, you kind of have to picture him being happy in the process of pushing the rock up the hill. And for whatever reason that, you know, is, I, I've enjoyed that again, just for my, my personality, my frame of mind. Uh, and so I really like the idea uh, of that that type of philosophy and the, the myth of Sisyphus that that you know it's it's not a punishment if you got to push a rock up a hill the whole way uh, if you enjoy pushing the rock up the hill and the the process being being in love with the process so um, so again I, that's a that's a ton of books that no one's probably ever going to read uh, but that's the kind of stuff that I'm spending my spare time on which is not as much as it used to be for sure. That was beautiful. I took some notes down there. So thank you. <laughs> All right. Last one. Uh -oh. What podcast should uh, we be listening to? 
Uh, again, I, I listen to all the same ones everybody else does, right? I mean, again, I'm a big podcast guy, especially the older I get. I got a couple small kids, so podcasts seem to be more uh, doable nowadays than reading a bunch as, as I once did, which I still read quite a bit. But um, I, I think Rosenbaum hit it on. I listened to Rosenbaum's uh, podcast the other day, and, and he talked about the MCTI uh, podcast. That one's phenomenal. You can kind of binge on some of those for sure. Um, what else I got here? I like history stuff, so... Uh, a hardcore history, Dan Carlin. If you've never listened, to even paying for uh, Blueprint for Armageddon, which is like a World War One podcast, which sounds really weird. I'm kind of a history nerd, but like, uh, it's a very long. I can't remember how many hours it is. It's probably like eight or ten hours of podcast. And I just started painting my uh, my basement and on a whim, and actually was pissed that I got done painting because I still had podcasts to get done when I was doing it. So it was a, for me, it was that good a podcast. So I recommend uh, any hardcore history Dan Carlin stuff, which I'm sure guys are familiar with. But uh, the the Blueprint for Armageddon one specifically was really good. Uh, uh, FDNY Pro. If you guys aren't uh, listening or a member of FDNY Pro podcast or getting WNYF, the FDNY's uh, kind of internal magazine, highly recommended. At all the magazines, you know, Fire Engineering and Firehouse and all that stuff, they're all great publications or whatever. You know, they got great articles. Uh, if you're not getting uh, WNYF magazine, uh, go out and do it today. Uh, you know, that and the FDTN uh, uh, magazine are, are the two best for, for your buck, in my opinion. Uh, but they have a podcast associated with that, that foundation for the FDNY, FDNY Pro Podcast, uh, and those ones are fairly good. And then one kind of out of left field, uh, if you, you know you got a medic or you're, you're interested in EMS at all, uh, the PJ uh, Medcast is a medical director for the PJs out of New York, uh, does a bunch of good stuff, just kind of entertaining, uh, both from military stories as well as um, the, the paramedicine part of it um, is, is pretty entertaining to me. So those would be my, my tops. I do a bunch of true crime stuff too, but nobody cares about that, so. Uh, my, my wife cares about that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, you know, little, little plug here. Uh, we're going to be bringing Steven Tyler on the show. So maybe, maybe it'll spur him to, to get back and, and, and do some refined by firework. So yeah, yeah you might, yeah. He's, yeah. I mean, get him to scratch the itch again. Yeah. He's, he's a, uh, he's a busy man, but yeah, he, he did good work again. Like for, you know, the only other podcast I've been on was that one. And I'm surprised I'm doing it again. Cause I can barely listen to my own voice. Uh, but yeah, he's like a psychiatrist. Like he just gets you talking and all of a sudden you're telling your deepest, darkest secrets. So. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm hoping he brings it back. But um, all right, well, that pretty much wraps everything up. Uh, unless you have anything else you want to add, James. But uh, if not, you know, we really appreciate you being here. No, thanks a lot. Yeah, I'll just plug that one thing again. Like I said, we're tentatively trying to bring back the symposium, Boise Firefighter Symposium, June 7th through 9th. And hopefully we'll have registration up uh, sometime in February is kind of what the goal always is. So uh, keep your heads up and we'll try to, uh, be communicative as we know something so do you have a brief overview of uh who or what yet uh not really we're still working on it we're totally behind the ball because everybody's scared to start planning anything but we'll see what happens all right all right cool all right well thanks again james thanks nick um and uh i hope you guys have a good day yeah thank you james <laughs>